shift is that love begins with hearing and how do we position ourselves to hear and therefore position ourselves to love with all of who we are and to love God in this way and then to love our neighbor as ourselves and to say this is the protos, this is the core of who we're meant to be just as the people heard that um, in Deuteronomy as they were about to cross over into the promised land from the wilderness. So Deuteronomy's context is a group of people who have been living on manna for 40 years who are about to have pomegranates for the first time <laughs> and who are about to fight battles and look for a place and settle. And they're being instructed to hear and to love and they're being reminded of what justice looks like and go live in this way in this land you are headed to and how can we keep doing that how can we keep living like thinking about how to love in the new context as we cross to new contexts Hello and welcome to Deconstructing the Bible. I'm Jason Steffenhagen, the Associate Minister at The Well at United Methodist Church in Rosemont, Minnesota. And this is part three of my conversation with Stephanie Spencer. She's an artist, she's a scripture teacher, she's an Enneagram coach, and she's also my friend. And we are diving deep into the scriptures, talking about Midrash, and concluding the conversation that we started a few weeks ago. So enjoy part three of Wrestling with the Scriptures with Stephanie Spencer. Thanks. Like we haven't talked about some of the layers of Midrash and Mm -hmm. some of the, like we've done some of the translating of names, but a part of what we're doing is we're saying there's layers of reading. There's layers of seeing that aren't just about like reading a passage. And so what comes to mind in this conversation about love is this sort of zoom out into the book of Leviticus, which we don't tend to have a lot of, we tend to spend a lot of time in the book of Leviticus. We read it in our Bible. We page through it. Back in the day, it would have been a scroll mm-hmm. and it would have been a scroll that you unrolled. So if you mm-hmm. picture unrolling a scroll, what actually starts to shift then is the most important part isn't the beginning, it's the middle. Because in a scroll, you see the middle first, or yeah. maybe not the most important, but it's it's emphasized in some way. It's central, like whatever's central. You or or just simply, you wouldn't you wouldn't be able to avoid it. Like you wouldn't be able to avoid seeing the middle of a yeah. of a book. Right. The very center verse of the book of Leviticus that would be center when you open the scroll is the verse "Love the stranger as yourself." <laughs> Remember that you were once strangers in Egypt. Um, Leviticus 19 is the center of the scroll of Leviticus. Okay, how does that shift how we read Leviticus to think about that being the center? Which that zooms out into like when we're thinking about Midrash and we're really thinking about just asking different questions, asking better questions, Mm -hmm. zooming out and zooming in and sort of noticing. I mean, I even think scientifically like a leaf looks different with a microscope. A leaf also looks different from a telescope when you're looking at one leaf in the midst of a forest. Mm -hmm. And we're really doing both. Well, sometimes Sometimes zoom deep in into like a Hebrew word, but sometimes we'll zoom out into like, where has Jacob been in his whole story? And how is the story of wrestling the story of all humans? And then we'll sometimes zoom out further and say, where is this in the scroll? (laughs) And how does it look in the scroll? Sometimes we'll zoom all the way into even some mystical understandings of Hebrew letters or numbers and say, what if we let ourselves be mystical for a little bit? What are we afraid of? And sometimes we'll do zoom out to historical context and what are the kingdoms and empires doing at the time and how does that affect things? And that sort of capacity to keep zooming out and in and letting it be alive in that way and asking the better questions that come 
just keeps it breathing in new ways. I learn something new every time I'm in a scripture circle with a new group of people. I can teach the same passage that I've taught a hundred times, but it's always different because it's a new group and it's a new day. And on a Mm -hmm. new day with a new group, we see new things. And I would say that that is not the common way in which we go about things typically in the church, especially as a leader. Now, I'm not going to speak for those that attend a small group, but I will say as the one that's often led the small group or preached the sermon, when I preach a sermon, I'm not surprised by anything that comes out of my mouth, right? Like, cause I wrote it or I'm the one speaking it. But what I hope to embody is that learner spirit where after the sermon is preached, have I created the system that says, okay, I'm done now. No one can question or challenge what I've just said. Or have I created an environment where, okay, I've said my part. Now let's continue the conversation in community. Come up and talk to me and like, right, send me the email that doubts everything I said or ask for evidence and let's continue the dialogue together. Um, I've often started sermons, um, especially when I'm in a new place by saying, I don't expect to be the last word on this. I hope that I'm either starting a conversation or continuing one, but I got a feeling that five years from now, I'm going to think things completely differently. Mm -hmm. So let's keep it rolling and let's keep challenging each other to grow because if we don't, then we're going to stagnate and then we're going to protect or we're going to try to keep the status quo going as opposed to letting this thing be transformational because we're only allowing certain voices in as opposed to everyone. And so how do we hold that um, that space for people and really invite in nuance like like you're doing when you teach? There's always something more to learn. Well, and I think that it's such a, I love that you say that out loud when you start sermons, because I think that question is also such a good one to add to this question of how do we, how do you read it? Mm-hmm. Like, that's just a good reflection question I would encourage for people is how would you answer that question? How do you read it? How, how have you been taught to read the scriptures? Yeah. What do you wish you could do as you read the scriptures? Like, how do you read it? How do you want to read it? But this, do we read it as the start or the end of a conversation? Right. Do we read, especially like when we get to things like Paul's letters, do we think Paul is trying to end a conversation or start a conversation that really affects how we hear what he's saying? Mm -hmm. And I would say that the whole Bible is trying to start a conversation. Or or you could even say like Paul is entering into one that's been going on for a really long time Mm -hmm. and is probably not the last word on it, but is trying to continue the dialogue. And so when Paul comes along and the beginning of Romans feels like it's this judgment about all humanity has fallen short of the glory of God and we are all sinners. True statement. But is is Paul's point that really the Bible should have been started in Genesis chapter three? Or is he trying to get us to something else, which is transformational and about growth, which actually grounds us in Genesis chapter one, where there's a goodness to humanity And yes, it's broken, but yes, God is up to something. And if you read all of Romans, not just Romans chapter three or one through three, but all of Romans, you see that Paul is up to something very transformational that actually looks very beautiful as opposed to judgmental, which Paul can often, I think, be categorized as. So anyway, that was my own little fun Paul tangent for the day. Well, and I think it also like notice that he goes back to Abraham. Mm-hmm. Like Jesus says, I didn't come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill it. And yeah. Paul continues that trajectory of fulfilling something, of going back to the story that's come before. Yeah. Abraham is the model of what righteousness looks like. Okay, well, then let's look at what Abraham's life looks like. What's being right. taught to us in that story? 
um, there's an intentional tying back to the story that's come before that if we read that story affects how we hear what comes after. And that's that zooming out that you talked about, that sometimes we we do need to dive into a certain passage in a certain context, and we need to get at certain words. But then we also need to be able to zoom out and say, ooh, Paul was talking about something else. What was that something else? How does that shape how we now read Paul? And, and, and if we can stay sometimes at that 30,000 foot level, but then sometimes, you know, parachute in for a moment and then go back out, it allows us to read with a kind of different sets of lenses in order to understand maybe a little bit more of what's going on there. Yeah. And so when we think about someone like Abraham, Genesis, or Genesis 12, one through three, God gives him this promise, go and to become a great nation and I will make your name great. And so Abraham leaves everything that he's ever known to like follow what God says. And this is the model of righteousness we're given is, is basically a recklessness. Yeah. <laughs> but do, that, do the thing that no one in human history has ever done before, left right. their family behind and gone to just, who knows where. Just go, just follow and and go to the place I will cause you to see, by the way, is how it's phrased. Meaning he doesn't know where he's going when no, he leaves. No he idea. has to start walking in order to be able to see it. And that verse, it starts with these two delicious words, lech laha. It's the, the word walk, but it's like twice. And it's like, if you just Google search lech laha, L-E-C-H, L-E-C-H-A is usually how that people... Um, put that in English, you'll see all sorts of commentary on what lech lecha mm. means because there's this sense of it actually meaning like go walk and it's an imperative, go walk towards yourself, for yourself, walk, go you mm. for you. And so there's this question there, this midrash of like, what is, what is, why is Abram leaving? What is he leaving behind? What is he walking towards? And there's this like, go you for you mm. is a yeah. different call than we sometimes read that. Like it's not just God flippantly, like let's test your faith. It's a sense of like walk, start this walk towards who you've always been that I'm yeah. going to call out of you more and more over the next mm. 25 years. Trust me, but it's going to be a ride. Yeah. Start the walk, start the Do walk. that transformational journey. If you've gotten to a certain part, point in your life where you have some resonance around your calling or your vocation or like who you are in the world and the way you show up to it, you know, sometimes that takes time, right? It's kind of that second half of life. Like you, you get to this point, you kind of talked about it. Like there was always this Bible teacher in you. You just had to find it. Right. And I, I feel the kind of the same way. There's always been a pastor in me, even though in second grade, when they asked me what I wanted to be, when I grew up, I knew the answer was pastor, but I always said a baseball player because who wants to be a pastor at the age of you know eight, mm -hmm. but even though, but when you get to that point and you start operating in that call, it's not like, Oh, I figured it out. I finally arrived. It's I'm entering into what I've always been. And in, and it's that kind of that Abrahamic idea of like, you're walking towards yourself. And then when you're there, it, it's not that you just stop and go, oh, I figured it out. Now I'm there. It's, oh man, now I get to operate. And now I get to like thrive. Who knows what's next now? Because I'm still going to be walking towards me and towards what God has for me. So um, I love that idea. And it's such a messy journey, whether we're with Abraham or Jacob or the women of the Old Testament, just mm. All of there's such a model of this like human, like what it's actually like, like transformational journeys and journeys of faith are yeah. not easy. So he leaves everything and then promptly encounters a famine. And so yeah. it's like, uh, <laughs> right. goes to Egypt, 
Almost loses back. it all. Yep. Oh, yep. And then 10 years in, he's supposed to become a great nation, but he still doesn't have a child. Right. So how is that going to work out? And God hasn't really, like he's elaborated a little bit, but not all that much. And No, so, God hasn't given him the plan. And so Abraham takes it on himself to appoint an heir. And God's like, I didn't tell you to do that. And Abraham's like, yeah, you didn't tell me to do anything. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, you you, that's you not did. actually in the Bible. That's my own like getting inner working brain of Abraham is like, well, I don't know how this is supposed to work. So I'll just, I guess I'm choosing that cousin over there to be my heir. And then God's like, nope, wrong answer. Well, okay. Like you well, didn't give me then, multiple choice here. Right. And to say like, and is, doesn't it feel like how often have we ever encountered somebody who had some version of a promise from God that was clear? Do these five, your, my, my plan for your life, quote unquote, is to go to this college, major in this, get a job at this company, marry this person, have this many kids. Some of us don't have a sense at all about what God wants from us. And some of us have some vague sense of something. Yeah. But it takes a whole lot of wrestling to work out and some missteps and some finding our way again. Yeah. And that's so much of the story of what is happening yeah. in the scriptures is people going, okay. So I think there's like, in a way, two journeys with this, right? There's the there's the journey of unknowing, like you're talking about of like, what, like, yeah, I could kind of come up with a plan, but really don't have a plan. I'm trying to figure out the plan. I'm trying to discover myself and figure out what God wants for me. Kind of like that Abraham journey. Then there's also, I think like the Solomon journey, which is, oh, I know the plan. I was born to be the next King. I'm going to be the next King. We're going to be the wealthiest nation on the earth. And then we're going to protect it whichever way possible. And it's kind of like that person that grows up with the I know what college I'm going to. I know what major I want. I know what husband or wife I'm going to find. I know how many kids I'm going to have. I know what neighborhood I want to live in. And I know what I want to do for the rest of my life. And then suddenly they get all of that. And then they spend more time protecting it than actually giving away that power to make shalom. And then suddenly when things don't go according to plan, they question like God's you know providence or they, they question everything about their faith because suddenly it didn't work out like they thought it should. And yet that's actually the way it is, is it doesn't work out the way you thought it should. It just did for so long that that became what you held up as the greatest truth is this works out the way it's supposed to, but that's not actually life. Life is more meandering. It is more struggle. It is more pain and having to figure it out and go through hard stuff. So if we take Abraham and Solomon and kind of juxtapose how they go through life, we see Abraham constantly trying to figure out the heart of God and the journey we see Solomon losing everything because he gets so fixated on keeping it the way that he thinks it's always supposed to be. I mean, to me, that's a good metaphor for how am I living my life? Am I protecting the status quo of what I've invented or am I in the process of discovery because God is up to something? Well, and once we, it's, it's that struggle with Solomon of what happens when things are finally settled, mm. which is what the book of Deuteronomy is about. Once you get there and you have peace and you have vines full of fruit, don't forget the Lord. Like yeah. that's the word of Deuteronomy over and over. Don't forget. Don't forget this story. Don't forget where you've been. Don't forget that you were once a stranger. Like you yeah. will, because we're prone to forgetting. Yes. And Solomon starts out so well in first Kings three he has this dream where God asked such a fun question. God, the actual phrasing of it is that God asked Solomon, ask what I want to give to you. And so Solomon's like, all right, let's play this game. And we talk, we talk about Solomon pr having this prayer for wisdom, but what he actually asks for relates back to this whole conversation because he asks for a Shema Lev, a hearing heart. Mm -hmm. 
And God says, yes, that Mm -hmm. I will give you. You are right. That is what you need. So at that point, he knew that's what he needed to to lead well, which goes right back to the Deuteronomy 6 glory. Ask for a hearing heart. And it goes back to Deuteronomy. I think it's 19, maybe it's 17, but where like Deuteronomy actually maps out like when you desire a king, this is what the king should look like. And it's don't have a lot of horses because I don't need you to depend on your own might to fight your battles. Don't have more than one wife because you could have a, a your heart could be led astray. Don't have a lot of wealth because then you're going to enslave your own people. And then don't think of yourself above anyone else and write down the law for yourself, right? So that you can practice it. And so Solomon is at the beginning embodying all of that but then quickly goes in the other direction to the point where he has the largest army, he has all the money, he enslaves his own people, and he has over 300 wives and starts building monuments of worship to all these other gods, dividing his heart and his faith so that it leads to the fracture of the nation. And so what I would say, a core difference between Abraham and Solomon in that place is it seems that Solomon stops listening. Yeah. So he has a hearing heart. So Abraham wrestles it out. He has a messy journey, but he and God keep having a conversation. Jacob and God keep having a conversation. They keep going back to these threshold moments. There's wrestles, Mm -hmm. there's prayers, there's vision, there's communication and hearing. Solomon, it starts to move into this place of it's about his wealth, it's about his armies, and that conversation with God seems to be dissipating. Which goes back to, listen, O Israel, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Right back to where we started with this whole conversation. Okay, Stephanie, so in order to wrap this up, um, which we could keep going. You and I will probably keep going um, for days and days and days. But let's wrap this up by just simply asking, how could people get connected to the work that you're doing? How could they get involved? How could they participate? Where can we find you? Great place to go is our website, 40orchards.org, 40orchards. There's a, a place on there that you can look at our upcoming programming. Once you register for something, that also puts you on an email list. That, um, But anything we email out is also always available on our website on that page. Coming up this summer, we have... Um, two um, great opportunities to drop in. One is uh, we have a program called Torah Roots, which is really digging into these first five books and thinking through what's told in things like Genesis 12 and Genesis 1 and Deuteronomy 6. All of those passages are in Torah Roots. And so um, we're offering that in a, it's a 10 session program. And normally that's once a month for 10 months. We're actually offering it over a period of 10 weeks this summer, if you want to kind of crunch it in. Um, But then also you can drop in just to one week at a time. Normally you have to commit to whole. This one you can sort of pop into the past passages that are like, oh, I would love to hear more about Cain and Abel, or I'd love to hear more about the Shema concept that we've been talking about. So that's an opportunity this summer. Once the fall hits, we'll be, we'll again, have those things up in sort of this ongoing once a month for 10 months format. So we tend to kind of go with that school year of launching more programs in the fall. The other thing we have this summer is uh, we're doing a series called Potentially Dangerous Questions. We are going to some of those questions that maybe you've had but are afraid to ask and saying, okay, we can, scripture circles could be a safe place to ask those. So things uh, like, uh, is God a man? Is there original sin? And is the gospel just about heaven when we die? Ooh, okay. So um. <laughs> list those three questions again, because those are big questions. Yep. Yep. In June, we'll be talking about, is God a man? 
Is God a man? Okay, yes. What is the gender of the divine? In July, we'll be talking about is there original sin? Okay, that Genesis chapter three, right? August, we'll be talking about is the gospel about heaven? Ooh, is it about how we get to heaven only? Or is there something more going on? And we get back to those sort of questions you asked in the beginning about like things that feel safe. We're not, we're approaching these through a scripture circle. So we're going to have space where we don't have to all land in the same spot. We're just going to find some time and conversation in scripture to think about them, to open up to other possibilities, to have space to not be sure, to have space to wrestle, but to say that engagement of wrestling is actually Mm -hmm. a part of where we build that intimacy with God and, and our faith. Yeah, I I started out this whole podcast series by talking about the idea of deconstruction and it's this the the notion that we have a have something that's been constructed for us and we might need to ask questions about it, wrestle with it, pull it apart, tear it down, and then we want to reconstruct. We're not just going to leave ourselves in deconstruction where we pull all the parts away and we know all the right questions but we don't have any good answers anymore, but instead, what are we reconstructing? And some of what we're reconstructing might be what was constructed to begin with because it was good and it was it needs to be held on to maybe a little differently but it's it was it's something that's in line with how we understand what God is up to and so when we're asking questions about you know the big questions that you're asking this summer i think that's the beauty of the scripture circle is that it's going to be like talking about hey this is what was constructed well, let's dive into this a little bit let's do a little deconstruction but Hey, the reconstruction might pull pieces back from what you originally started with. And that's okay too. So I love that idea of, of how we engage these texts and like having kind of open hands as opposed to closed fists with them. So Stephanie, I'm excited that the well gets to be exposed to you and all of the others that are listening to this podcast. Um, I hope that they log on to 40orchards.org. Again, that's 40orchards.org. Um, check out what they got coming up, sign up online. We as a church want to stay in connection with Stephanie. And as we continue to grow what spiritual formation looks like at this church, I would hope and almost expect that um, my friend Stephanie will be a big part of that. We're looking forward to where this is all headed. And so Stephanie, thanks for joining me on Deconstructing the Bible. It's been um, a blast as always. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Fun conversation.